Well, good morning, Storehouse family. I hope that you are doing well and experiencing the grace of God for you today. I'm really excited to introduce your preacher for this morning. His name is Ruben Degollado. Ruben is a tremendous friend. I've known him for many, many years. He has certainly discipled me uh, as a young man, as uh, a young husband and a father, uh, but most importantly, he has just been one of those guys that has been in my corner, at my side, and I greatly admire him, respect him, and appreciate him. Some of you know him from back in the day when he served as our kid's pastor. Uh, and so this morning, I wanna introduce to you Mr. Ruben Degollado. Nice. Wow. You guys, you guys make me feel special. I appreciate that. Thank you. It's good to be here. And as I, you know, I'm a little older than the last time, you know, I got a little more gray and I'm, I'm looking, I was looking around at all the volunteers, uh, you know, all the, all the serving teams. And I, I remember, I remember y'all when you were like young college volunteers. And I'm not going to name the couple, but there was a certain couple doing a little flirty flirt when they were putting up the, putting up the bulletin board. I'm like, any day now, those two are going to get married. I'm not going to name names, but you know who you are. Um, so it's good to be here and, 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 you know, see everybody's kids and like all the kids are taller than me now. Either I'm shrinking or they're growing, uh, but it's just awesome to be here. So thank you for that introduction. Thank you all. Um, I'm going to preach today, um, you know, uh, Pastor Marco gave the introduction on who I am, but I'm going to preach today. Y'all are uh, doing a series on the parables of Jesus, right? Um, and so last week, the, the sermon was on the mustard seed. Our brother Alan preached on, on that uh, sermon there, and I listened to it. It was a great, great sermon. And so this week, you get me, um, not a young buck like Alan. I'm a senior citizen almost now, but I'm very excited to be here. Um, but before we dig into the scripture, there's, there's two things I want us to understand. And, and the two terms, uh, the definitions is, is the word parable and the term the kingdom of heaven. So just kind of lock that in this morning as we, as we come together. So the first one is uh, parable, and that comes from the Greek word parabolos, uh, parabolo, and, and it's a comparison. And it's used in the Bible, and the, the idea here is that it's tying an earthly theme to a heavenly one. So an earthly story to a heavenly uh, meaning. Um, Jesus used the parables uh, to reveal truths about the kingdom of God to his people. And as we see this in uh, the gospels of Mark and Luke, the kingdom of heaven is used um, in, in the gospel of Matthew here. So the purpose again was to reveal spiritual truths, but to also in, in some ways conceal those truths from people who, who didn't believe in him, didn't believe what he was, what he was preaching. Um, we see the, the purpose, so the purpose of, and, and, and Alan read this last week, so I'm going to read it again, just to ground us in it, and the, the verse is this. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given, for to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, 
nor do they understand. So that's parable. That's what a parable is. Kingdom of heaven. Um, that's a term that I want to kind of uh, unpack for you all a little bit this morning. Um, it's one that readers and listeners of, of the time would have heard, they would have understood, and they would have understood it to mean that it was a spiritual kingdom um, and not an earthly one. So, uh, you know, the, the Jesus was wanted to be very clear. I, I believe he wanted to be very clear that I'm not here to, to have this earthly kingdom. I'm not going to be the ruler that a lot of you think I am. We're talking about the kingdom of heaven here. The kingdom of heaven is, is a spiritual kingdom. It's not a phys physical one. Um, and it means God's rule in our hearts. It means God's sovereignty over his people. But it also means our humility under his authority. Earlier in Matthew, Jesus says, right before the verses that we're going to talk about here, a couple chapters before, he says, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So it's a place where we humble, our, humble ourselves under his gracious rule. So these are two things to understand. Parable, what that parable is, what it means, what the purpose was. And then two, what does kingdom of heaven mean? So today I'm going to tie the parable uh, to the character of God. And the parable this morning is uh, the, the workers or the laborers in the vineyard. So I'm going to tie that to the character of God and also uh, having a right relationship with him, but also having a right uh, relationship with others. So my point, my main points are this, and I'll get, I'm, right now what I'm doing as a preacher, I am telling you what I'm going to tell you, I will tell you, and then I'll tell you what I told you. Does that make sense? That's, that's basically every sermon, that's what, a, that's what a preacher does. So my points are this, many who are first will be last, and the last first. God calls us to the kingdom of heaven, God fulfills his promises, God doesn't owe us anything, God's grace is an undeserved gift, and God's calling of others is a cause for celebration. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you for today. I thank you for being grounded in this word, uh, in this parable. I thank you for all the brothers and sisters here this morning. Uh, there's joy in this room. The Holy Spirit is in our lives. It's a presence here for sure. So we thank you, Lord God, for all of our many blessings. We thank you for this word that we're going to study. And I pray that uh, you uh, just indwell this, this word with your truth, with your grace, with your power and your might. And I pray you're working in our hearts today. Um, and as, as I preach this word, Lord, I pray for ears to hear. I pray for hearts to be open, for minds to think. Um, and, and just receive what you have for us today. And I, I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So Izzy made a joke this morning. We were back there having the meeting, and Izzy says, so I'll, you're doing an hour and a half, right? Like a sermon, hour and a half, because I, I, I tend to go long. I'm going to tell you all that right now. So send your lunch text right now. We'll probably be here another, another 55 minutes. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, yeah, I'm just kidding. You didn't really have to do that. All right. So the big meaning I want you to walk away with today about the parable of the laborers or the parable of the workers uh, is the same point Jesus was making is, is many who are first will be last and the last first. And right before this, it's always to look at, it's always important to look at 
why was Jesus putting this parable in place at the time? Well, right before that, he was talking to Peter, um, and he said in Matthew 19, uh, 29, he said, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my namesake will receive a hundredfold and will inher inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So Jesus is going to bring this point home uh, to his disciples while simultaneously con concealing this truth uh, to those who would not believe in him. So that uh, Alan did a good job of uh, talking about that last week if you were here. So the thing I want you to think about is that by extension, we have this word, right? We have the word of God. And the parable is not just for the ones that were hearing it. Who else is the parable for? Us, right? Us today. So I want you to think about that is that Jesus, again, is, wasn't just preaching to them, wasn't just teaching them the parable. He was uh, wanting us in the future here as his, as his followers to have access to it, access to the truth. So I want you to think about the kingdom for a second. A kingdom. You, you have three things, all right? And you see those, you're going to see these in the parable. Number one, you have a ruler or a sovereign, right? Otherwise, it's not a kingdom. The second thing you have is you have subjects. And when I mean subjects, I don't mean school, like I'm studying this. I mean you have followers. You have people who are under the authority of the king. So ruler or sovereign, subjects, and then you have a location or a dominion, right? And that location in this story is the vineyard. And so that's the physical and spiritual domain of the king. That's what the location is. So let's set the scene in the parable, and we're going to see these three represented. For the kingdom of heaven, the first part of the verse, uh, verse 1 and 2, says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers uh, for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. So in the parable, we have it set up very right away. You have those three components that I talked about. You have a king. You have, uh, in, 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 in this parable, the, the master of the house or the owner of the vineyard. Right. We have subjects and those are the day laborers, the laborers that we're going to see. We also have the kingdom of heaven here represented in an earthly sense as a, as a vineyard. So the master of the house needs laborers to work the vineyard and he goes out early in the morning. And the commentary I've read on that is that it was about 6 a.m. So very, very early in the morning he goes out um, to to get laborers and he makes an agreement with them. How much are they getting paid? Denarius, denarius, okay, that's, that's one coin. And what you need to know about that denarius is that was a pretty generous, it was a day's work, okay? Roman soldiers were paid a denarius. So the fact that a denarius is being paid to these folks, they're day laborers, and they're getting the same pay as a Roman soldier, that's actually pretty generous. And we don't often think about that, but that was, it was a standard wage, but uh, again, pretty, pretty generous for them. And if you're not familiar with what a day laborer is, a day laborer this afternoon, maybe not, I don't know, but you, if you drive south down Bicentennial, okay, you go down Bicentennial and you see a lot of guys standing out there. Have you, has anybody ever seen this? Okay, those are day laborers. Those are men who are waiting to be picked up by someone to take them to a job. And the way it works is 
Do you know how to do tile? Do you know how to, you know, can you cut lawns? And there's a kind of conversation, there's a bargaining that happens. They pick them up and they, they have work for the day. Now, these are men without a trade, typically. These are men that are probably down on their luck. But the most important thing I want you to think about is that these are men who, if they don't work that day, they don't eat. Okay? There's no paid sick leave. They work, they eat, they survive, they feed their family. So for them, working, being asked to work, being picked up to go work is, is not just a good idea, it's a matter of survival. They need to be chosen to go to work. So this is a parable about the kingdom of heaven. If the master of the house is God, if the day laborers are the subjects, the vineyard is heaven, the parable is for the disciples, it's also for us. So as you listen today, okay, I'm going to just give you a little spoiler alert. You are the day laborers in this story, okay? The vineyard owner, as, as he's talking about, is who? It, it's the same answer I always ask kids in Logos Kids when back in the day, okay? Kids, what's the answer? It's Jesus. Right? It's always, it's always the right answer in children's ministry. Right answer here as well. It's God. It's Jesus, our triune God. So let's frame ourselves in that. Verse 3. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. And I put emphasis on that word for a reason. Whatever is right, I will give you. So now it's the sixth hour, and that's around 9 a.m. So we're about three hours, two hours into the workday. It's already started. He sees others standing idle, and it's not that they're lazy. When you're seeing idle, it means that they're not working. It doesn't mean that they're, they're lazy. Okay, they're, they're ready to work. So again, they're three hours into the morning. They haven't been chosen to work. They're three hours into knowing three hours into knowing that they may not eat that day. And I want you to think about that, okay? Three hours into knowing that they may not eat, that they may not be able to feed their families that day. And the vineyard master of the house chooses them to work. How do you think they felt? Okay, some relief, sigh of relief, like, man, okay, I got a job. Things are good today. They're living day by day. So they must have been pretty happy, right? And pay attention to what he tells them when you're talking about pay. Whatever is right, I will give you. And this is going to be important a little bit later, as you'll see. So they, verse 5, so they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. So the master of the house goes again, both at the sixth hour and the 11th hour. He goes out at noon, picks the workers up. He goes out at 3 p.m., picks the workers up. And then at 5 p.m., there's really, there's like one hour left to go in the day, he picks up another group, okay, about 5 p.m. Have you ever heard the term the 11th hour? What does that mean? It means like you barely made it, right? A panzazo, we say in the valley. You ever heard that term? 
Maybe if you're older, Efrain's laughing. He knows what I'm talking about. Pansaso means you barely slid into home pace. You did it on your stomach. Pansaso, okay? That's what it means. Pansaso, you barely made it. It's the 11th hour. You can't, and I said it earlier, you came in clutch, okay? For you uh, younger people, you millennials or whatever you call yourselves these days, Gen, Gen Y or lo que sea, whatever. Okay, so... Pansaso, barely made it, 11th hour, 5 o'clock, these guys, oh, gracias a Dios, right? They're probably praising God, like, I got, I got hired, We're, I got paid today, I'm going to be able to, to make it. And I want you to think about those, those men that were hired. Why do you think no one hired them? I mean, they were standing there, right, like spiritual kickball game, waiting to get picked. Those guys get picked, and I was always last, by the way, to be picked for kickball. But they're waiting, those guys go, those, the, those guys get picked, those guys get picked, and here we are, we're the last of the bunch. We're, we're like uh, the bad news bears, basically. These are not the all-stars, the last ones to be picked, not the all-stars. Basically, these were probably men that were older, Weak, possibly sick, the lowest. So if, if, if day laborers in their society is the lowest of the low, these men that were picked last were the lowest of that low. Does that make sense? So these were men who no one wanted. And, and when they were picked, again, how do you think they felt? I asked you a question about the earlier laborers. How do you think they felt? They were really praising God. Like, I got in, a panzazo. I did it. So when, when they heard you go into the vineyard too, and they heard that call, that call must have been music to their ears. Verse 8. And as I'm going along here, I'm going to get to the spiritual truths. I'm, I'm just trying to get you some context and understanding what this story would, would have meant to the people hearing the story, the disciples hearing the story. And then we'll get to the spiritual truths. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard, uh, verse 8, said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. And, and remember what I told you, what the sermon's about. The first will be what? Last. The last will be first, right? And, and, and here... Jesus does an incredible job. He lays it out like in a real way, very real way. The guys that started working at 5 p.m., so imagine them all up in a line, right? Okay, let's get you in a line. If you started last, I want you at the front of the line getting paid first. So the guys, muy monos, the guys that got paid 5 p.m., they go up there real cool. They get their denarius. And then the guys that started working at 3 p.m., they get their denarius. Noon. Denarius, 9 a.m., Denarius, and, and the ones that were there, hot and sweaty all day, were at the line last. How do you think they felt? Probably not pretty happy, right? So as you're going to see here, they weren't very happy. Verse 10, now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. They were probably in the back of the line. Mira, look at him. He's getting paid. Why is he? Look, he, he just got here. He barely got here. He's getting paid. They're probably at the back grumbling and talking to each other, you know, being real. She's most of us in the back, you know, kind of talking to each other, trying to figure it out, right? Telling each other uh, grumblings. Okay? 
So they're standing there watching everybody get paid the same thing. And, and what do they get paid? Each of them gets paid the same thing, a denarius. But more importantly, it's not the denarius that I want you to focus on. They get paid what was what? Agreed upon. The vineyard older owner told them at the very beginning, you're going to get a denarius. But how do they respond? Some grumble, some complain. Some said that the vineyard owner had made them all equal, even though others had done more work in the heat. They're, they're basically, it's not fair. It's not fair. You, parents, you know what I'm saying? That's not fair. Right? It's not fair. Why are they, right? Why are they getting this? It's not fair is what they're saying. And in a spiritual sense, the fact that they're complaining that they're saying we should have been paid this and they should have been paid that or not paid at all. They're basically telling the, 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 the vineyard owner that they want to be boss. That's what they're saying in some sense. They want more than was agreed upon because they see others uh, being equal to them. Verse 13, but he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last, last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? What did they agree to? A denarius. To work for a denarius. He tells them, take, their, take your portion and go. And the implication here is that what he decided, what he chose to give them is not their choice. It was his. They're not little kings. They're not little kings. They are the subjects in this parable. He reminds them of his generosity. He even calls them friend. Hey, friend, like we had an agreement, friend. Okay. Remember, without the generosity, think about that. Where would those men have been without this offer for them to work? They would have been hungry, they would have been without, and their family would have been out without. But what do they do? They complain about his goodness, okay? It's always, what's over here? What's over there? What are they getting? What are they getting? Is it fair? Am I getting what I deserve, what I think I deserve? Okay, they like the goodness if what? It's only for them. But if that goodness of the owner is imparted to the others, not so much. I want it for me. I want, I want the blessings for me, not for everyone else. Okay? And, and this is uh, jealousy, basically. Invidia, jealousy. All right? In another, ter in another translation, what's very interesting, what I found out in uh, the New King James uh, translation, uh, the, the little piece is added on there. It says, or is your eye evil? Is your eye evil because I am good? That's in the New King James. Look that up. Y'all ever heard that term? In the valley? El ojo? You, you ever hear that term? That's biblical. Did y'all know that? Okay. For the white people, el ojo, if you don't know, is if I, it's a, it's a superstition that if you have something that I think it's particularly with children. If you have a beautiful child and you admire the child, what are we, like the superstition, and it's a superstition, what do we typically do? 
You got to do what? You have to touch the baby. Can I, can I touch a baby? And you just pat the little head, right? You take off the ojo. It's a superstition. It's, I'm not saying it's right. It's just something that happens. But that's really, it's in the Bible. And, and the interesting thing I thought of is, is that it's that powerful. That this biblical story is that powerful today that we still use this terminology in our everyday speech. So that ojo, that, that envidia, that jealousy that they have there, um, it's, it's trans, translated here in this, in this uh, parable. And jealousy is when someone has what we think should be ours, could be covetousness, what we think should be ours, or we think they shouldn't have that in the first place. And, and if you get down to the core of it, okay, what's happening here is pride. What's happening here is self-righteousness. And if you look and you look at the text and you read all the sins that Jesus ever called out, what was the one he called out the most? Pride and self-righteousness. Verse 16. So the last will be first and the first last. Now Jesus brings the parable home with a summary uh, to its meaning. The last will be first and the first last. And, and in their way of thinking, you know, the, the, the workers, in their way of thinking, the first should be first. The last should be last. They want what's fair, right? They want what they think they deserve. But when you go back and you look at what the vineyard owner said, whatever is what? Right, I will give you. And by right here, he isn't saying whatever you deserve, whatever feels good, whatever you think, whatever is fair. He's saying whatever is I've chosen to give you is right, okay? And it's like he's saying it's good because I'm giving it to all of you. It is right because I have chosen it. Now, we're going to bring it together in a spiritual sense. As you've already been, you've already been making the connections. I'm going to just help you uh, solidify those connections right now. So, again, this parable is made to teach a spiritual truth. And the idea is for the hearer, for you, in uh, 2022, to make connections to your own lives just as they made connections to theirs back then. So in a kingdom, we have three things. Remember what I told you. We have a king or ruler. We have what? What was next? Subjects. And then we have what? A place or a dominion. So in this story, spoiler alert, God is king. Amen? Amen. God is king. You and I are the subjects. The dominion in his rule is his rule, the kingdom of heaven. And, and, and it's the kind of humility that makes us uh, last in the eyes of the world, right? Because you, you look on social media, you look on uh, celebrities, humility is not the game these days, okay? And there's like, the, you ever heard of the humble brag? Where people are like, oh, I'm so hashtag blessed. And you know what? I've probably done it myself, right? Hashtag blessed. And they're showing something awesome that they have. But they're blessed. Right? So it's even, even when we're being humble in our current day and age, we're bragging. We're boasting. But what God is calling us to is true humility, as we'll see here. So God calls us. Truth number one, 
that we take away from here. And there's so many things. You could spend a lot of time on this little parable, and you've probably read it a hundred times. Um, you say, oh yeah, it's parallel vineyard, and you do your reading, you do your Bible in a year, and you look it over. But there's a lot in this little parable here. So the first truth I want to share with you, and again, there are many, God calls us into the kingdom of heaven. The day laborers didn't just show up to the vineyard and start working. Didn't work that way. They had to be called. Okay, and as the day laborers were called by the owner of the vineyard, so does God call us. Again, spiritual. God calls us to himself. And God calls you when he calls you. He blesses you when he blesses you. Okay? So, your blessing is your blessing is your blessing. Your blessing is your blessing is your blessing. My blessing is my blessing is my blessing. So, in other words, okay, when God saves you is when he's supposed to save you. Okay? If it comes early, it comes later in life, that that's, if you believe in God's sovereignty, you were saved at exactly the right point, okay? So there's no use, and I'm, I don't know who I'm talking to right now, but somebody needs to hear this. There is no use saying, I shouldn't have lived that life for all these years, okay? I wish God had saved me when I was 23. God saved you, and he pulled you out of that miry pit when he was supposed to save you, okay? Your time is your time is your time. And for some of you raised in the church, uh, you know, I see all these little kids running around. I saw a little girl like chiquitita, like it's tall, with, with you know, getting, getting the communion, my daughter, very early age. Some of you were saved at a very early age, six years old. You understood. I sometimes lie to mommy. You know, you understood the depth of your sin, such as it was at six years old. Okay? So some of you made those early confessions of faith. All right? You got hired at 6 a.m. in the parable. You made early confessions of faith. You confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you were saved, again, probably at six years old. You were baptized. And, and chiquititos, some of you, you needed help getting in and out of the baptism because you were so short. Okay? Others... You needed help getting in and out of the baptismal because your knees couldn't take it. Okay, those in your 30s and early 40s, you don't know what I'm talking about, but you'll, you will. Okay? Miss Ann's laughing. All right. So God calls us when he calls us. The point here is not when he calls. The point here is that he does. And our hearts are made alive and we answer. We go to him. We repent of our stuff. We confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, uh, as we see in Romans 10, 9. And in Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 30, if you want to go to there or just kind of jot it down, okay, this is laid out very well, makes the point very well here. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. It does not say... All of that and then say, and it's better if it happened earlier in their life and they should be more blessed and have a bigger place in heaven. Okay? Doesn't work that way. 
So when the vineyard owner called to the laborers, he didn't ask them about their pedigree. He didn't ask them about their training. He called them just like he calls us. And he justifies us, which means he makes us right with him. That's what that term justification means. We're made right with God. And in this, we are glorified. We have a place with him in the kingdom of heaven. And God chooses to bless us as he chooses to bless us. Again, his or her blessing is not your blessing. Your blessings are your blessings. And, and there's no upper, middle, or lower class in heaven. There's no North McAllen and South McAllen in heaven. Okay? We are all equal in the eyes of God. Our brothers and sisters that are humbly uh, worshiping, afraid for their lives, okay, in, in, in other countries, and us here this morning, we're, we're equal, right? We're not above them. They're not above us. It's not, it doesn't work that way, okay? We see this in Acts uh, chapter 10, verse 34, if you want to write that down. Acts 10, 34. I, know, I, now realize, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Okay, point two. God always fulfills his promises. We see this in the Bible, but I love this exemplified in the promise of the Holy Spirit in uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 38 through 39. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. That was actor, uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. So that's a promise that God fulfills. He fulfills every, every promise. Okay, so going back to the story, the, the, uh, the, par the parable, the vineyard owner promised them a denarius, right? He delivered. And, and I want to tell you this, okay? You call out to God, you cry out to God, he's going to answer and fulfill the promise of, of saving you. Okay? I'm, I'm going to tell you that. And, and, and by saving you, I don't mean, you know, I need $10,000 for rent, Lord. Are you like you're padding the numbers because I want for the next four months. I don't know. Okay? That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying name it and claim it right now. So let's, let, let's not think that. What I'm saying is, Lord, save me from my wretchedness. He will answer. And as it says here, the promises that God makes, particularly when we're talking about the promise of the Holy Spirit, it's a promise to you. That's the greatest promise God will ever give us. The Holy Spirit is evidence of our faith. It's what empowers us. It's a promise fulfilled, the, re the receiving of the Holy Spirit. Okay? The problem here in this story and in the problem in our lives probably, is that we try to keep God to promises he never made. We interpret things how we want to interpret them. And I'll give you an example, okay, with one of my children. I'm not going to say which child. All right. They'll say, Dad, can I go to the beach? Can we go to the beach? And I said, well, let me think about it. You know, let me talk about it with your mom. So the day comes, in their heads, they're going to the beach. But what did I say? I'll think about it. I didn't say yes, but in their heads, me thinking about it, that, that's a yes. 
So we go to the beach. Where, where are we going? What time are we going? No, we're not going to the beach today. It's not going to happen. What? They're shocked. Right? Because in their head, I made a promise to them that I never made. And I want you to think about that. When you think, when you pray to God, when you ask God to save you, you have to think about what that means, right? He will save you spiritually. It doesn't mean that life is going to be easy, that your bills are going to be paid, all of that other stuff. That's, that's life. That's a part of life. But, but when we talk about the spiritual promise of saving you, of giving you the gift of the Holy Spirit, that's a promise. Okay? And on a practical level, you know, when you, when you do the earthly uh, meaning of this, there's something to be learned here. Fulfill your promises to people. Okay? If you're a boss, be good to your workers. Pay them what you promise to pay them. All right? On another note, if you have children, if you have people, what you promise to your kids, you have to deliver every single time. Do your best to do that. Okay, next point. God doesn't owe us anything. Pastor Marco, uh, in a sermon he gave one time, he said something to the effect of, uh, I believe it was the only thing, and I'm going to paraphrase, I'm probably get it wrong, but he said, the only thing you bring to salvation is your own sin. Y'all remember that one? That hit me, boom. Hit me hard. Okay. But in our economy of the world, a lot of us feel we are owed. We are good people. We tip 20%. Okay? We cut our lawn. We do our best. Oh, please. Yes, by all means, get in. Yes. And then you get a little upset when the person doesn't wave when you let them in. Okay? We're good people, but we feel like we owed. We're owed. But the Bible tells us, if you, if you get down to it, the only thing we are owed is judgment, is justice. If you read the Bible and you truly believe, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, you realize you are not owed a thing. You're not owed a thing. Once we fully understand the nature of our own sin, we're saved. We see that salvation is that much more powerful. Which is why when I think about the story, okay, I think about the guys in the morning, they were, were working and, and in their heads, I think they felt like that they were earning it or deserving it even more than those who worked at the end of the day. Okay? We see this in the spiritual realm. We sometimes think if we serve more, we serve longer, we work harder, we show up at 1045 or 945, not 1045, God forbid. We show up here at 945 for service, then we should receive more blessings. And the danger of this is that we can start to believe that we're earning our own salvation. And when we believe we are earning our own salvation, self-righteousness sets in. And when self-righteousness sets in, we become, in our heads, mistakenly, we become our own saviors. We're, 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 we're usurping the kingdom of, of the king from the kingdom. Okay? Because that's what we see when the, when the day laborers are grumbling. They wanted to rule. They wanted to be the one making the decision. Determine who should get what. And instead, we should be reminding ourselves daily that we all got in 
because he saved us. And it's not us saving ourselves. So those of you who serve, and I saw a lot of you faithfully serving this morning, okay? You understand that you are serving, you are sharing the gospel, you are worshiping not to be saved, but because you are saved, okay? And that's the big difference between this, this Christianity, this biblical, theologically correct Christianity. We understand, and, and a brother read it uh, earlier, is that it's, it's by grace you've been saved. All right, next point. God's grace is an undeserved gift. So I read Romans 3.23, now Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, and if you don't have this memorized, this is a good one to memorize. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Apart from God, apart from the saving work of Jesus on the cross, the only wage you can earn is death. It's like, why is this guy bringing me down? I'm telling you the word. It's in the Bible. God blesses us as we share. God blesses us as we serve, as we uh, share our, of our, our, you know, our food and our money, our tithe, and, and, and we share the gospel. But we don't do it to deserve grace. We never could. We serve, we love, we share the love of Jesus and the gospel because we've received grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. You're saved by grace. Amen? Okay. The day laborers re receive that grace, and the problem is that those who worked early in the morning thought that they should have received more grace. Those who worked late in the day, they received and they understood the level of grace that they, they got was very high. Okay? So again, I'm bringing that back to it's under, if, if you are saved at all, it's undeserved. We heard that earlier. It's not by what you did. Okay, last point here. God's calling of others is a, is a cause for celebration. All right? The ones, going back to the day laborers, the ones who worked an hour were probably praising the most, jumping up and down as they could. Those ones who were hired in the morning were grumbling, and there's spiritual truth to that. Do we judge when someone who has lived a life of sin, apart from God, finally comes to the Lord and is saved? Do we judge him a little bit, maybe? I mean, I look at him. He's a Christian now, look. He's serving the Lord. <laughs> I remember what he used to do. Lira, let's go back on his timeline. Let's look and see what he used to be, right? Maybe we don't do that. Maybe not. Because it's a person we, we may know or something like that, okay? But how about when a celebrity gets saved? Okay, I won't name celebrity, but there was a certain celebrity that started proclaiming Jesus, and it was like the last person that you thought would be one person proclaiming Jesus, and you should have seen the comments. 
Okay? It was the one time when the world and the Christian church, people in the Christian church and the communities agreed on something. It's not going to last. It's fake. It's a stunt. It's this. It's that. Okay? So certainly we've been guilty of that as a church, I think, of, of, of judging when someone is, is uh, being saved. But what should we be doing? Celebrating. Okay? In another parable, Jesus says, this is the parable of the lost coin in, in uh, Luke, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Imagine that. One person that in the eyes of the world are, are lowest of the low. One person who, who gets saved, who proclaims Jesus when they've been living a life of sin and, and uh, resistance and being an enemy of God, they rejoice in heaven. And so as we see in heaven, we should see here. So in conclusion here today, the first will be last, the last will be first. We're to be humble before the Lord, put others before ourselves, and understand that nothing we can do saves us. When he saves us, imparts grace to us, he fulfills his promises. We're not owed anything. You are not owed anything. The only thing you're owed is what? Judgment, death. Okay? The grace you are given is a gift made possible by Jesus' death on the cross. And when others receive God's grace, his blessings, his salvation, we are to celebrate with him. Let me pray. Lord God, I, I thank you for today, and I thank you that I thank you that the gift we have is a gift, and it's not something we can earn. Because if it was, I would fail. I would never earn it. Nobody in this room would be able to earn it. But you made it possible by the death on the cross of Jesus. You made it possible so that we could have a place with you in humility and in and celebration in the kingdom of heaven. So, Lord, we come to you today and, and we just ask that you continue to, to remind us and to bring this truth to us daily. That is, when we don't get what we want and we don't receive the blessings that we think we should receive. We are reminded that we're not owed anything. That you bless us. Truly, you do, Lord. You take care of us. Okay? But sometimes that taking care of us is just enough. And it's not as abundant as we would like. But we pray the prayer to be content, to understand that Whatever you choose to bless us with is whatever you've, choose, you've chosen to do to bless us with. And that you saved us when you saved us be precisely because that's what you had for us. So we thank you for your will for our lives. And I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.